Uh, we're going to continue our sermon series today that uh, we're, we're actually wrapping it up. We started this three weeks ago, and uh, we're calling it Much Afraid, and uh, sort of the subtitle for that is The Curious Power of Conversations with the Shepherd. Um, we, uh, th- th- there's a book that impacted me as a kid, and it's an old school book. It's a book that was written, um, what, I don't know, 80 years ago, 70 years ago. Uh, it's an old school book. It's an old parable, allegory type of book. And um, it's about this little girl named Much Afraid. She is like her name. Um, she's filled with fear, and she's living in the valley of humiliation. She's, she's down in the valley, and, and, and she, she is a follower of the shepherd. Uh, the shepherd is a type of Jesus. She is a follower of Jesus. She loves Jesus dearly, but she's living in this, this valley, and kind of the whole point of the book, it's called Hind's Feet on High Places. It's like deer's feet on high places. The whole point of the book is that, is that God has a higher place for you to go to, that um, God doesn't necessarily uh, have his plan for you, doesn't end when you start following him, but rather uh, he wants to take you up out of the valley of humiliation, as it was called. He wants to take you out of valley living. Um, the problem with Much Afraid is that her feet were deformed, her face was disfigured, and her heart was selfish. And what she found is that there was this journey that the shepherd was, was offering to take her on, take her up to the mountains, to the high places, where her feet would not be deformed, her face would not be disfigured, and her heart would not be selfish. And so the book is really this journey that she goes on. And what we've been focusing on along this journey is, first of all, you know, we want you to know that God has this for you. We're going to talk about that in, in greater length here in a minute, but but mainly what we've been focusing on are the conversations that she has with her shepherd. Uh, because every time she faces something, every time she comes up against an obstacle, every time she's about to quit and fail, she talks to the shepherd. And her conversations with the shepherd are what bring revelation to her, are what bring power to her. The first week we talked about um, conversations with the shepherd, by the way, means prayer. <laughs> when we say talking with Jesus, that's called prayer. And so the first week we talked about how prayer is private, or we talked about the privacy of prayer. Jesus said, whenever you pray, go into your closet. (laughs) It's pretty private. Close your door. Bless you. And uh, pray to your Father who is in secret. So we learned that God dwells in the secret place. He dwells in secret. And I think that's one of the reasons why prayer is not incredibly popular, because prayer is private. And you don't get a lot of high fives. You don't get a lot of pats on the back. Uh, You don't get a lot of attaboys with prayer because nobody knows you're doing it. It's just you and Jesus. And, uh, the, but, but the secret of, of, of the power of the Christian life comes through these private prayer times with the shepherd. And not only are they private, but they're also personal. So that means that when, when you talk to the shepherd, it's you talking to the shepherd about you and the shepherd. And so the shepherd will always, Jesus will always speak to you about you which oftentimes we don't want to talk about us because we're, we're perfect, you know, um, obviously. Take your selfie. It's perfect, right? Like from the right angle with the right filter, of course. It's perfect, you know? So, but that's, we don't want to talk about us. We want to talk about everybody else. And so we started off this, this series on prayer and conversation with the shepherd by saying, hey, let's first of all, let's pray about me. Right? Let's, let's, let's pray about us. Let's look. Let's, let, let's allow the shepherd to speak to us personally and change us personally. And so, and so, so that's, the, that, that's the first week, that the, the privacy of prayer. And then we talked uh, the, the, the second week about the power of prayer. 
And the power of prayer has the power to change us. Um, it has the power to change the way that we talk. And so we talked about a prayer language. We talked about uh, uh, not only prayer, what people would call prayer language, but also the prayer or the, or the language of, of the high places, that God has a different way of talking about you and about your situations than, than you do. And so we have to learn to talk like the shepherd talks. We need to learn to, to give uh, the, 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 the same way the shepherd sees our situations to, to, to ascribe to that. And uh, it, it changes the way we talk, also changes the way that that we walk. And last week, I had the privilege of preaching with a few ladies. Uh, we had a uh, had little couch thingy up here um, from Ikea, and uh, had a, which is why it was very light. It's easy to get here on the back of my truck. Um, so um, we had four ladies sharing with us, all from different walks of life and different stages of life. And they shared about prayer and how, how the provision of prayer, what, what prayer brings to us. First of all, prayer brings comfort. Prayer brings contentment, and prayer brings courage uh, into our lives and into our situations. And so um, I, I, I enjoyed kind of letting them preach with me, letting them take, take, take a lot of that, and I, I loved hearing their stories. How many of you guys enjoyed the ladies last week? You want to give it up for the ladies? Got a few of them here today. Um, yeah, and so I thought they did a great job, so maybe next week they'll just preach and I'll just stay home. It'd be awesome. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, anyway, uh, today we're going to talk about the purpose of prayer, the purpose of prayer. And so to kind of start this off, we're going to look at uh, a quote from the book. Uh, and our first slide has, has a quote from the book that uh, is at the end of the book. So we're, we're covering the last four uh, chapters where, where she finally makes it to the high places. And this is one of the things that she notices about her time in the high places. She says, another thing which gave her continual joy was there unbroken communion with the king? This is one of the greatest things I think about Much Afraid, that when she finally gets up into the high places, she has this unbroken communion with the king, which, by the way, the shepherd is also the king. <laughs> and so she has this unbroken communion with Jesus. She also has her name changed from Much Afraid to Grace and Glory, and her feet are, are miraculously healed. Her face is miraculously transformed in her heart. The weed of selfishness has been pulled out of her heart, and now she only has a love for, for him and a desire to help others. And so she, she is there in the kingdom of love, and she has unbroken communion with the king. Wherever he went, she and peace and joy went too. By the way, her, her friends that had been traveling with her, they were named Sorrow and Suffering. They now got their names changed to Peace and Joy. Uh, because sometimes the greatest sorrow and suffering that you go through is what, what makes peace and joy in your life, if you'll just follow the shepherd through it. Come on, somebody. That was good. You know, I don't know nothing about that. Anyway, she's running around with peace and joy and the shepherd, springing behind him with delight, which at times was almost hilarious, for he was teaching and training them to use their, their dear feet. And so you might say, uh, uh, Harry, how does this apply to me? How does this, how does this work for me? And really, every single week, we always want our sermons and we want our messages to be helpful to those who are saved, but we also want it to be applicable to those who maybe you don't even know if you believe in God. Uh, you're not even sure about this whole Christianity thing. Well, uh, the, 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 the way I see it is that, that this is really, um, this, is, this is an offer that's on the table for you. This is something that God has for you, that he created you for, the life that he created you for. And if you would follow him, you would learn what it is to, to, to live in this kind of way. And, and, and the more biblical reference to this is found in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 through 24. Uh, 
the writer says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, now he's he's talking to Christians, and he's telling them to 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 admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. I think oftentimes we associate more so with the idle, <laughs> with the faint-hearted, with the weak, and the ones that people need to be patient with. But this scripture is showing us what is possible. It's showing us what it's like to live in the kingdom of love and not in the valley. And so instead of actually being the one who's faint-hearted, who's weak, but we can actually have patience for everybody. Oh, Lord, help us. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Verse 16 says, rejoice always. We could just spend the rest of the year preaching on that statement right there. Rejoice always? Rejoice always. 17, pray without ceasing, without stopping. This is what God has for us. Say, I can't do that. Uh, You'd be amazed what the Holy Spirit can do inside of you. Verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Verse 23 says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you or set you apart completely, and may your whole spirit and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he who calls you is faithful and surely will do it. So this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about life on the high places. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for our time together. And over these next few moments, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would reveal your word to us. I pray that you would open up scripture and help us to see Jesus Christ. We believe that you are the subject of every sentence. You are the focus of every of every, of every story, of every scripture, of every parable. And so we look for you to teach us from your word today. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that uh, football season is just around the corner. Fantasy sign-up has already started. Lord, you are so good. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> um, having kids is fun. I should, I should say... We have two kids, my wife and I. She's down here in the front. I should say getting pregnant is fun. Having kids is, is, is a lesson. <laughs> There's a lot of lessons along the way. Uh, but really, those lessons start like even before you have the actual baby in your arms. Um, pregnancy itself is a whole joyous, wonderful experience that is just sweet and um, full of glow, glowingness, lots of glow. Um, we, we, we decided for our, our, our first baby and really both of our children to have natural, to have what, what is known as natural birth um, because we're freaks. And uh, we wanted to, everybody's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it's, like that, it's like that one skit. Well, we didn't feel like driving to the hospital. It's too far. Um, yeah, you know, it's laziness, really. We just wanted to have our babies at home. And um, this was mainly Rose's idea because if it was up to me, you know, I would just say put me on the, on the operating table, cut through my ab- abdomen. I'm never going to use those muscles anyway. Just rip this thing out. You know, let's just deal with this. But, you know, but Roe didn't, 
understandably so, Roe didn't want to go through all that, and she wanted to have a natural birth. And so we lived way too far on the country to safely have a natural birth for our first baby, so we drove into the midwife birthing center, which is really just a home that they remodeled, and we had Madden, our firstborn, there. And really the whole, like, the, the, the whole, uh, really it's 40 weeks, so that's like 10 months. I don't know why they always say nine months, but anyway, that messed with my head. But that, that whole time was a time of learning, right? And so we would, we would go to um, the people who teach you how to breathe, you know? I don't, I don't, I forget, I don't know what they're called, but they're just like, this is how you breathe? So it's really informative, really helpful, and, um, and uh, yeah, it was great. So I, so I learned how to breathe. Uh, and we got ready for having a baby, and I, I, I wasn't really prepared much for this. I think Roe was more so prepared, but um, when Madden, when the time came and, 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 and Madden was coming, uh, there, there, there was a problem. Madden was turned the wrong way. Um, she was facing the wrong way, and I, I always get it confused. Is she supposed to be facing up? Back to tummy, so this is not helping me. So this is why. I, I, is this face down? I'm just thinking north and south. That's all. I mean... So, okay, so she's supposed to be face down. You gotta, it's a guy's brain here. Just help me out. This is directions, left, right, up. Okay, so she's facing the wrong way, so we had to turn her around. So she had to get, Rowan to get in all these positions, and, and, and which, is, which is moving Madden around to face the right way. Um, and this causes a lot of what is known as back labor. Uh, Roe is experiencing incredible back labor, which is, which is labor in your back. And um, so it, her muscles were spazzing out. And so my job as the dutiful husband was to massage her back like the whole time, you know. And so for, for hours, and I know I'm not going to get any sympathy because, <laughs> I mean, she was having a baby, right? <laughs> but I could have used an epidural. She didn't want one, but I could have, like, if we could, like, inject that sucker up here somewhere. I don't know. Because, I mean, I know I'm super buff and all, but... But it's just, it's not like for hours massaging, like my, my forearm was, was numb, my biceps and triceps, and I didn't even know I had biceps, but they were numb, and my shoulder, whatever this muscle is, was like, it was, it was, it was killing me. And so it was just me and Ro and, the, and uh, three midwives, and then this other lady from the church that was helping us, Michelle, and Michelle was, Michelle would jump in there and kind of massage every now and then when I had to at the same time, I was buying a house, so I was on the phone talking to people all the time. It was kind of bizarre, but anyway, so I had to step out to, 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 to you know, negotiate the sale of this house, and, and so I go back in. And so, anyway, in the process, like after a few hours, I'm sore, I'm tired, and I mutter something under my breath, and um, it's, it wasn't bad necessarily, wasn't exactly praising Jesus either, but, you know, it was somewhere in between. I just kind of, I just muttered something. Well, the lady next to me, uh, Michelle, she thought, like, I was, I was speaking in tongues. <laughs> and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that tongues is a prayer language. It's like, it's a, it, it's, it's, it, it doesn't sound like anything to the human ear, but it's the Holy Spirit speaking through you, right? <laughs> the Holy Spirit speaking through you. It wasn't the Holy for me, there was no holy. It was a holy. But Michelle just like, she just thought, and she just br bust out shouting in tongues, <laughs> laying her hands on row. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Oh. And I'm like, I'm the preacher, right? And I'm like, yeah, glory to God. Come on, somebody. What's going on? I couldn't be showed up by Michelle. So. <laughs> 
God. I mean, I'm super spiritual, you know. I got this. But she's just, like, going after it. And I was like, and, and after I was like, man, I'm glad somebody was praying, you know, because I was just, I was not really praying. But she thought I was, and it inspired her. And she just took on. And so the next Sunday at church, people were like, Harry, I heard you just got filled with the Spirit when man came. And I'm like, um, hmm. Lord's good, isn't he? He's a good God. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Just kind of changed the subject, you know. But it's one of those things where I, I was thinking about that story this week because I was thinking about that scripture, pray without ceasing. <laughs> I was, I had ceased praying, by the way. But luckily, Michelle helped me out. Luckily, Michelle jumped in there and she was praying without ceasing. And I, so I, I'm sharing that with you today because, number one, I kind of like to make fun of myself. So, check, done. Um, but also, because I never got to tell anybody that story. The whole time I was at Promised Land, I couldn't tell them that I wasn't really, I just, mm. you all, nobody knows from Promised Land, so it's all good. You guys, you're, not, you don't, you're not telling anybody. Um, so, uh, don't check in with that statement, okay, on Facebook. That's not, that's not how, how it works. But I also want to let you know kind of about, a little bit about the high places that God has sort of something for you where to where you are always ready to pray and you are always carrying on a conversation with Jesus. That's what it means to pray without ceasing, to constantly carry on this communion, this unbroken communion with God. That's whether you're giving birth or whatever situation you're in, that you can be so ready and so so on fire for God that you are able to to, to commune with him in that way. And so I want to talk to you about that, that really that's the purpose of the journey. The purpose of the journey to the high places is that you would get to this place where there's unbroken communion. Um, and we, we've, we've seen this time and time again, folks at City Chapel, a lot of them and a lot of you all are kind of new to the faith, either like new completely, like you've never really been in church in your entire life, or you're new, like you haven't been to church in a long, long, long time. And, and oftentimes what I hear from, from folks who are new and they're coming back and they're starting to walk with their shepherd is that whenever they fail, whenever they stumble, whenever they sin, they often say, well, I don't feel like an incredible condemnation. It's not like God's going to zap me, but I do feel like there's a, there's a break or there's a cut in the communion or in the connection that I have with him. And, wow, I can hear myself online. This is, this is fun. <laughs> uh, uh, hmm. Break communion, connect with him. Nice, I just repeated myself. Um, we need to turn that down because it's going to drive me nuts. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to go lay hands and pray for the, the, the computer there. Um, God wants unbroken connection with you. And, and that's possible. That's something that's possible. Many times we, we think, well, that would be nice. It would be great if we could pray without ceasing, if we could, if we could have patience for everyone. That would, be, that would be lovely, but we just can't seem to do that. And there's, it's constantly failing, constantly stumbling. And so what I want to try to encourage you and remind you about is that all of this that we're talking about, this place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this is possible for you. And oftentimes, really, we do actually believe that it's possible. We do believe that someday we're going to be at this place where we have unbroken communion with God. We do believe that someday, but really that day is usually like after we die. 
So the kind of the general scenario is we feel like we have to live in the valley all of our lives, and then, and then when we die, then God magically like picks us up and carries us and drops us off into this, this place where we have unbroken communion with him. And, and the only thing that I would challenge you with that thought is that really what you're saying when you say that is that death is more powerful than Jesus because death, you say, can do something for you in the future that Jesus can't do for you right now. And we put death up on this high pinnacle, and death is our savior, and death is the one who's going to take us to that greater place. But Jesus has already conquered death. Therefore, Jesus is better than death. Jesus is more powerful than death. In fact, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. In other words, anything you are looking to experience after death, you are going to find in Jesus himself. And when you encounter him, when you embrace him, you have the resurrection. There's nothing greater after death. It is Jesus. Jesus is the greater after death. He is the one who can take you from where you are to where you need to be, to, to this place of unbroken communion, to this place of, of connection. And, 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 and really, you, you need to have some faith for that. Because it, you, when you look at yourself in the physical, you look at yourself as much afraid. And you say, look, I, I, I'm not able to do that. I'm not able to follow the shepherd along these paths. And that's true. You are not able in and of yourself. But the number one thing that I want to stir up in you today is faith that maybe God can do something in you that you cannot do in yourself. Maybe, just maybe, God is pretty powerful <laughs> i was i was i was i was doing i was watching a video this week as a scientist was giving out these spitting out these facts that were like blowing my mind he was talking about stars like stars in the sky like like the sun for instance um stars like like how many stars are there scientists estimate that there are one septillion stars septillion that's right that's uh, use that in your everyday con conversation and you will sound like a genius um a septillion is, is a one with 24 zeros after it. Uh, like, I'm not good at math, but even I know that's what scientists call a lot, right? And, and they, they, they say that there are about one septillion stars in the visible universe. And what they mean by that is that we can only see so much. We can see about, let's see, 11.8 billion light years in any direction from Earth. Try to imagine 11.8 billion light years and then come back to me whenever you can figure out how far that is. But, but they, the, the visible universe, what, the, what we believe is that there is more universe even beyond the visible. And so, but within the visible, there's one septillion stars that range in size from the size of our sun to the size of like a thousand times our sun. And these things are spread out across 11.8 billion light years in any one direction. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke them just into existence. With his breath, he just flung galaxies and one septillion stars. And scripture actually says that God leads all of these stars. You know, they're all in motion. They're all moving. He leads them on, on their path. Like, he's the one who determines their path. And he leads each star on its path every single moment of every single day for 11.8 billion light years in any one given direction. He is leading them out, and he has names for them all. That's crazy. I don't even know like a hundred names. I can't remember like uh, I, my memory cuts off at about a hundred, and then I'm like I, I can't store anything else in my head. But he's got one septillion names for stars that nobody's even enjoying. They're just out there. They're just flying around for his enjoyment. 
I, you know, I think maybe he can handle you. I think, I, I, I think maybe he can deal with your problems and your issues. Maybe your life is not too big for him to handle. He's currently spinning around one septillion things, balls of light, uh, around a pretty broad space. And that's just the stuff that we can see. And then there's a whole bunch of other things that we can't see. In fact, there's things that we haven't been able to see up until now because things were too small. For instance, fleas. Um, fleas are pests. Fleas are annoying. But did you know that, that fleas, even though s some certain sizes of fleas, uh, depending on how much Wheaties they eat, they, they can get bigger or smaller. And um, that's scientific fact right there. And uh, depending on whether, what size they are, they, they, they can actually you can fit 100 fleas like on a, on a human thumbnail. That's how small they can, they can get. But did you know that every single time a flea jumps, and you're never going to use this information anywhere, but every single time a flea jumps, it does a somersault mid-flight. Pretty cool. Not two somersaults, one. Like it always, no matter how far it jumps, it always only does one somersault. Why in the world would fleas do somersaults? <laughs> Why in the world do we have a septillion stars spinning around in orbit with names? There's no rhyme or reason. There's no reason other than the fact that God is simply just that powerful that he creates stuff that even if nobody else can enjoy it, he enjoys it. He's looking down at the flea circus saying, man, check that out. Check that out. Wow, that's really beautiful. I mean, all of creation is just doing crazy, wild stuff. And there's depths of the sea that we haven't even explored yet. Our scientists can't even tell us why lightning, what, what makes lightning. And, it, and we, we, we can measure it and test it all day long. We can't figure out how it comes into process. God is like blowing our minds before us all the time. And the purpose of it is so that you would say, hey, wait a minute. I think maybe God can do something in my life. I think he's big enough. I think he's powerful enough. It's, it's, it, the purpose is to show his power to us. And that's what science is. That's what, that's what science is. That's what scientists do. Scientists study the power of God as it moves through nature, and they find the channels and the paths, and they call it natural laws or laws of nature, but really it's not laws of nature. It's phenomenons of nature, and it's the laws of God that God dictated, and he set things into motion, and things after God told it to do something, it never stopped doing it until God tells it to stop doing it. So if God speaks into your life and speaks into your situation, even if there's nothing there, everything can spring forth out of nothing. That, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. I mean, even just last week, did you hear, did you hear uh, uh, Cheryl's story about, about, about the gun? Uh, she was an officer in Houston, and a guy pulls a gun on her. She cries out to God. She wasn't even really following God at the time. And the guy pulled the trigger twice. And, the, and she didn't get a chance to talk too much about it because she was respecting the time, which was awesome. But, um, <laughs> but she, she, she told me afterward that, that, that afterward, like, they, 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 had, they had checked the, the bullets, they checked the gun, and the hammer had gone so far inside of the shell. <laughs> it had left an indentation in each of the two shells. And, and the other bullets all fired. They, they, they took them out, and they all, they, they, they all fired. It, it's, it's a miracle of God. That's God stepping in, doing what only God can do. Last week, we had, we had Ricky and Veronica's testimo testimony, um, and most people think that, well, if a marriage, after only like a year or so of being married, if there's an affair, then that marriage is going to, this marriage is going to fall apart. It's never going to last. 
But God can do what you don't think can be done. God can do the impossible. And so he can bring two people together. And then even after five years or so, you can, you can still be under that guilt. And back in February, Ricky said he just woke up one day after going through the, the, the freedom class, going through the small group and being here at City Chapel. God just, God just removed the burden of that guilt and said, you're no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. And he stood up a little bit taller and a little bit stronger and a little bit more proud of the fact that even though his, he had made some mistakes, that God had been faithful to him even when he wasn't faithful to God. And God can do that kind of stuff. Like, God can, like we're, we're seeing that here at City Chapel a lot. And so I just want to encourage you that whatever you're facing, whatever addiction you're facing, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever mistake you're currently in, that there is nothing that is too hard for God. The purpose of the journey is to have this unbroken communion, and it is possible regardless of where you start. (laughs) Regardless of where you're at, there is some way to get to where God's calling you to be. I mean, for instance, you might be in Austin, and and you might uh, uh, be trying to get to San Marcos. Well, uh, you, you are a little ways away from San Marcos. You're about 30 minutes, but you can take 35, and you can get there. There's always a road to get to where God originally intended you to be. And you've been off the path for a while, and that's okay. It's going to take you a little bit longer to get back, but it's all good. There's always a road for you to get back where God intended you to be. That the purpose of this whole journey is that you would be so connected with God. And then the purpose of that connection, which I'm going to talk about for a few minutes here, the purpose of that connection is intercession. That's what uh, church folk call intercession. The biblical word is intercession. Session. Intercession means to come in between, to come, to come between something. And this is the ultimate purpose, I believe, of prayer itself. That uh, prayer initially works on us, and it initially conditions our heart to align with the heart of our shepherd. It, it, it makes us like him. But the whole purpose of becoming like him is that then we will see things like he sees them. So I have a quote from the book, uh, when she was up in the high places, she's, 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 she's jumping around, and she, looks, and she looks down on the valley that she came from. And she starts talking to the shepherd. She says, I beg you to find some way to rescue and deliver him. Him is Craven Fear. That's the guy that she used to hate so badly and who also hated her. He said, she said, I, I wish you would deliver him from himself. <laughs> That's what we need. I wish that you deliver him from himself as you delivered me. And the shepherd made no answer for a little while, only looked at her very kindly with a look of great contentment and happiness on his face. At last he spoke, I am more than willing to do what you suggest, said he, but grace and glory, these unhappy souls you're speaking about will not allow me into their homes or even permit me to speak to them. I need a voice to speak for me, to persuade them, to let me help them. She says, I see what you mean. She cried joyfully. We will go down with you and speak to them and show what you have done for us and what you are willing and able to do for them. (laughs) That's called intercession. When the people who used to annoy you, the people who used to, because sometimes this is what prayer is for us, unfortunately, because we don't think like the shepherd because we've never been brought into communion with the shepherd. When we pray for other people, it goes sort of like this. God, you really got to help my husband because he is so lazy. 
He doesn't do anything around the house, Lord. God, would you do something and make him just like the guy in HGTV and he builds stuff and, and just, just transform him because I don't like him the way that he is. Or, you know, Lord, help my wife. She's nagging me all the time. Just nagging, nagging. God, do something in her. Or, or, God, our kids are nuts. They're out of control. Would you just zap them and, like, take their energy out and away and cast it as far as the east is from the, come on, somebody, get rid of the energy. Just knock them out. Right? Or, God, my coworkers are so lame and my boss is so cruel and mean and doesn't really know what she's doing and you know my job is terrible give me a new job my house is falling apart i need a new house lord my car lord you know like i need a new car and and this is how we pray because we're basically complaining to god and those kind of prayers like never get answered which is why people often give up on prayer because they tried that and it didn't work i talked to one lady and she was having trouble with her neighbors and her neighbors were doing stuff like mess, messing with her and so she's like i just tell them i'm praying for you <laughs> how's that working for you i think i think it's religious persecution there is such a thing as religious persecution and then there is being a jerk and people will be mean to you when you are a jerk that's not what prayer is about because you need jesus you need a whole lot of Jesus. You got so little Jesus. You would have the Jesus I got. You'd be twice as good as you are. You have no Jesus at all in there. You need more. You know, that's not what it's about. <laughs> that's complaining. This is, this is not intercession. Because there's no heart of the Father there. It's still selfishness. It's still looking for me. It's still, God, you know, I, I've, I, I really need some stuff here, and I need you to, to change some people to make my life easier. It would be awesome. But what Much Afraid is doing now, she's looking down on the same people that used to annoy her, the same people that used to drive her nuts, and now she's saying, wait a minute, they're, I was just as messed up as they are. <laughs> like, I was just like them. My name was Much Afraid. Very similar to craven fear, by the way. I was so similar to what they are, and God delivered me. That's what intercession is. When you get close enough to the Father to start to feel his heart for people. Classic example of this is found in an Old Testament passage. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but uh, actually, I'll just tell you the story. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1 through 14 is an amazing weird almost strange story uh where moses is up on the mountain and he's he's communing with god god's giving him the law and in the meantime all of the israelites down there on the ground they decide to turn against god and build a golden calf and really what they're doing is they're going back to their roots in egypt because the the calf was worshiped in egypt and so they they start worshiping this calf and god is up on the mountain with moses and god tells moses Dude, you need to get down there because I am so ticked at these people. They're already forsaking me. He says, I'm going to destroy them. And what Moses does, the Bible says that Moses pleaded with God. That's what intercession is. When you get to such a place that you feel the heart of God, you plead for other people, like on their behalf. You plead for them, not for yourself, not for your life to be easier, but you plead 
for other people. You stand, Scripture says you stand in the gap. What's the gap? The gap is between people and the consequences of their actions. You stand in that gap, and you say, God, have mercy on these people. Don't, don't allow them to receive the full consequence of their action. Don't allow, because so often we see folks, and we're like, oh, well, they just deserve that. Oh, that was coming because they made that decision. And, and we don't have the heart of God. We don't have the heart of intercession. We don't pray for people. We sort of pray for ourselves against people. But the heart of the Father, the heart of the shepherd, is to look down on those who are in the valley, those who are struggling, those who are, those, those who are uh, what, what does it say uh, in, in, in 1 Thessalonians, those who are, who are weak, those who are stumbling, those who are idle, and encourage them and pray for them to stand in the gap, to plead with God. And this starts with, this starts with the change of the way that you look at them. It starts with you taking on God's point of view. When we were going to plant this church, we didn't know where we were going to plant, and so we just began driving around. Literally, I would just drive through neighborhoods, like lots of places. I, I just started, we were in San Marcos, so I started driving through San Marcos, driving around San Marcos, driving in New Braunfels, driving up here in Buda and South Austin and Austin, North Austin, just driving around asking God, where do you want us to plant a church? And the reason why we chose this location is because really whenever I was in this area and the neighborhoods in this area, Onion Creek and um, Garlic Creek back in Buda and, and certain neighborhoods in this area, it's like God just put a, a burden on me. And it was like a, a heaviness that these people need God. And it's kind of strange because you drive through nice neighborhoods around here. There's a lot of nice neighborhoods. And, and God spoke to me and said, Harry, do you know how much that house costs? I said, well, yeah, it's about, you know, 375 to like, you know, 450 right around there. And he said, no, 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 that's just the bank account. Do you know how much it is costing that family? Do you know how much the work schedule is costing that home? Do you know the cost? of all this stuff that we've got. And I came to my first church planting meeting up here in South Austin. It's a little group of, of pastors who encourage church planters, which is awesome. And so I, 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 I was the new guy. I'm from San Marcos. I don't know anything about Austin. I wanted, I'm all ears. I wanted to learn. I sit down, and the topic of their discussion is, why do so many church plants in South Austin fail? <laughs> I'm like, are you serious, guys? I thought you were going to try to help me. <laughs> Maybe the Lord's not calling me here. This is uh, the graveyard for. That was a topic of the discussion, and the overall consensus was that church churches and church plants, by and large, do not succeed in South Austin usually because the people of South Austin are so content with their stuff. They don't really think they need God. They're not that interested. And for me, it was just confirmation. Well, those are the kind of people I want to reach. Those are the kind of people that I have a burden for. Those are the kind of people that, that they, I mean, they, they, you know, they're not wondering about where their next meal is. They're wondering if their husband's going to come home. They're, like, they're, they're, still, they're still poor. They're just not poor with money poor. They're poor in other ways. And Jesus is the, the, the prosperity that, that they need. Jesus is the wealth that they need. Jesus is the treasure for their marriage and for their kids and for their and for their anxiety and for their for their anxiousness and for their depression and for their and for their for their suicide attempts. I mean, Jesus is the answer. And it was in prayer. It was it was, it was all in prayer. When when whenever you begin to to sit with the shepherd and dwell with the shepherd, you start to look at other people the way the shepherd looks at them. You 
start to feel for other people the way the shepherd feels for them, even toward enemies, but really toward all people. The last quote from the book, which I thought was just powerful, uh, she she notices a waterfall, and, and she's watching because the water's alive. It's like singing a song. It's an allegory. Um, and she she says, isn't that just terrible? Because here they are up in the high places. Like, it's a beautiful place. It's glorious. And it's falling downward. Water always runs down, just, just plunging downward. She says to the shepherd, that's just that's such a shame. It's so terrible. And the shepherd says, well, at first sight, the leap does look terrible. But as you can see, the water itself finds no terror in it. No moment of hesitation or shrinking. Only joy unspeakable and full of glory because it is the movement natural to it. Self-giving is its life. It has only one desire to go down and down and to give itself with no reserve or holding back of any kind. You can see that as it obeys that glorious urge, the obstacles which look so terrifying are practically perfectly harmless and indeed only add to the joy and the glory of the movement. This is why you'll never be happy with your stuff. This is why you'll never be happy getting more. Because you were not made to get more. You were made to give more. And when you are connected to the shepherd, this is what happens. Is you pour yourself out. You just pour yourself out in, in self-giving. Not self-serving, but self-giving. You give out to others. And it's amazing what happens when you do that. Not only are you fulfilled, not only does, does, does your joy become complete, but you touch other people. And this week I was in the living room with a guy and he said, thank you for starting City Chapel Church. And I said, well, I didn't really do it, but it was a group of people, really, just a big group. And he said, no, but thank you for being obedient to God because you're saving families, you're saving marriages. was with Moses when he stood there and he pleaded with God. The Bible says that God relented. He decided not to destroy all the people. It's amazing what happens when we start to intercede for others. On our launch day, uh, six months uh, and a couple weeks ago, January 25th, it was a great day. It was a wonderful day. A lot of people, a lot of visitors, a lot of friends. Um, and 11 people gave their lives to Christ that day. Uh, 14 people went to our, our newcomers meeting that night, and the church was birthed, and it was exciting. It was great. I felt awesome. I went to bed and slept like a baby. No, actually, that's horrible, because babies wake up every three hours. Never mind. I slept like like an old person. No, old people still get up. No, without the potty breaks. I just, I just, I, I slept very well. I slept like a college student. Come on, somebody. That's what I'm talking about. 3 p.m. I'm rolling out of bed. Um, <laughs> still remember those days. It was so good. Um, yeah, I, I just slept so well. 
but I had this weird dream, and I, God speaks to me in dreams a lot, and, and so I, I, I'm used to having spiritual dreams that are, that are from God, but this dream didn't seem like it was God. It was strange. It never had it happen before in my life, and I woke up with this incredible heaviness on me. I was just like, what in the world? Like, I don't, I don't know why I'm feeling this. I don't know what's going on. And so I called some of our prayer folks and said, you guys need to pray for me. Um, I have some spiritual hitmen and hit ladies who, who, who every time I'm traveling or anything, like they just know what's going on in my life and, and, and I, because I need prayer. I need intercession. Somebody needs to intercede for me. And so they began praying and, and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I just couldn't shake it. It was just on me. And, and I woke up Tuesday morning. I didn't even realize that it was gone. I just went about my day and about 11 a.m. I was like, wait a minute, I feel normal. This is strange. And um, I was talking to one of the prayer ladies, and she said, yeah, I don't know why, but Wednesday night, God just had me up like all night till like 4 a.m., and I was praying for you, and, and then I, I just couldn't go to sleep without praying for you. And I said, God was doing something in my sleep while you were awake, praying for me. It's amazing what God does when God's people just make themselves available to intercede for others. As we were getting ready to launch, my dad had, had, a, had, a, had a heart attack, um, they, he had some chest pain. He went to the ER. They hooked him up to EKG, and they said, Sir, you're having a heart attack right now. We need to get you in the ambulance, get you over to U of M Hospital. It has a better cardiac unit. So they, they took him in the ambulance. They, had, they ended up having to shock him 14 times in the ambulance. Like, they had to pull over twice to work on him. Like, he died several times in the ambulance. Uh, all I knew was... Uh, dad had called mom and said, I'm going into the, going in, I'm going into the ER because I haven't been feeling right. And then she gets a call from, from the EMS driver saying, we're taking him. He has, he's having heart attacks, blah, blah, blah. That's all we know. So I called the prayer team. Call, I called everybody, you know, and just wanted them to pray. And one of our prayer warriors said, uh, I've never met your dad, but I had this vision of him sitting up in the hospital bed, and he's fine. And so I told Ro, I said, I think dad's going to be fine. <laughs> He said, how do you know? I said, well, I, in prayer, somebody, God told somebody that he's going to be fine. And so I'm just claiming that, like, he's fine, and we don't have to worry about it. And, and I called my mom, and I said, look, he's going to be fine. And that takes a lot of, you know, it's, it's not easy to believe that sometimes. It takes faith. <laughs> uh, and sure enough, later on that night, he's sitting up in bed. He gets to the hospital, and they say, we we don't see any damage on your heart at all. In fact, we don't even think that you had a heart attack. Um, <laughs> we don't even, we don't, we don't, I, is this something wrong with our machines or something? I don't know. Like we don't, we don't, you didn't have a heart attack. And um, yeah, he's, he's fine. It's so amazing when God's people pray. God of the universe bends his ear to listen to his people that will pray his heart. So that's what we want to be about here at City Chapel. We want to be about his heart. We want to be praying for the lost, for people who are burdened. And um, if that's you today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to this God. And because we've been praying for you. Um, so we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes right now. We're just going to take just three minutes right now to focus on God and just clear out every other thought. And we don't want a lot of moving around or anything. But I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to this offer of salvation. That God has already done everything that needs to be done for your salvation. He already died on the cross for your sins. And he already is offering you this 
journey that I've been talking about. You might be a million miles away from, 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 from the, the, the high places of love. It doesn't matter. His offer is still just as real to you. It's still just as authentic as it's ever been. And it's never too late to start. And so I want to just offer that to you. And if you'd like to pray with me, I want you to raise your hand right now and just tell me I am making that decision. That's awesome. Thank you. Yes, yes, making that decision.